0: We listen this morning to the Word of God from Luke, the Gospel of Luke, the 23rd chapter. Luke 23, and we begin at the 32nd verse. Listen then for the voice of God. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He he, he saved others. Let him save himself, for this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The word of the Lord. Uh, we made it. This is the end of the sermon series uh, masterclass in Luke. We've done it. We finished the semester. Finals next week. Um, and this is the end of the uh, the way the church keeps time, which is why they're doing that in children's worship this morning. This is the end of the church calendar. Christ the King, Sunday, next Sunday, the first Sunday of Advent, we begin again, the new year. As near as I can figure, I looked at this text in 2010 um, and um, substantially rewrote what we did in 2010. My grandmother... Winifred Amelia Smith was a stout, stately Englishwoman, And from the head of the table, while pouring tea and serving shortbread, she was easily mistaken for the Queen Mum. Pious, Bible-believing, and Plymouth brethren, she lived to be 98. During the last days of my grandmother's life, with her family at her bedside, she memorably prayed, O Lord, you saved the thief on the cross. Surely you can save a sinner such as I. It was probably just a common prayer phrase A line that she'd heard prayed over and over and over again. Something akin to give them traveling mercies on their homeward way. Or, Lord, we just want to pray. But it was also emblematic of the way in which this conversation between Christ and two criminals has shaped the faith and imagination of God's people. So this morning, as we close another year on the church calendar and we celebrate Christ the King, we listen for the voice of God in conversation with criminals. And in doing so, may our faith and imaginations be so shaped and encouraged. Crucifixion was common in first-century Palestine. As a deterrent, the Roman Empire crucified people on the hills outside of town or alongside the roads leading into town. Therefore, everyone knew what crucifixion looked like, smelled like, sounded like. Long, slow suffering, lost control of bodily functions, suffocation, thirst, a long, slow, naked agony. It was an obscene, unspeakable horror meant to strip away any last vestige of humanity. Now all four gospels recount Jesus being crucified between two criminals. For example, the gospel, the, the birth story doesn't show up in all four gospels, but Jesus between two criminals shows up in all four gospels. Historians write that they weren't common criminals. For while the Romans were a cruel occupying force, they didn't crucify people for shoplifting sandals or fudging on taxes. It's more likely that these criminals posed a threat to the empire. They were insurrectionists, violent thugs, terrorists. The word here in Luke for criminals is often translated as evildoers or malefactors. And yet Jesus finds his place between them. The prophet Isaiah puts it this way: He was numbered among the transgressors, transgressors. Jesus is not numbered. Among the righteous and the religious Us He's not among the bright and the beautiful Or the politically connected and the socially The politically powerful and the socially connected Jesus is numbered among the felons The foul and the guilty And so with little to lose One of the criminals being crucified joined the crowd in mocking this misguided Messiah. By his calculations, the one writhing in pain next to him was no kind of savior. Those anointed of God didn't get executed. Kings don't die with criminals. To think so was ludicrous. So with scorn and the spit of bile, he asked, aren't you the Christ? But after a word of rebuke and caution, the second criminal pulled himself up. He would have been hanging, pulled himself up and sputtered out a last word to Jesus. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Dear friends, this is the only place in the Gospels where Jesus is addressed without some other title, like Son of Man or Lord. (laughs) That popped your head up, didn't it? It's the only place in the Gospels where he's referred directly as Jesus. Without something else I guess there's an intimacy When you're numbered among the transgressors When you're broken and beat down Suffocating And caked in dust and excrement All titles are gone It's worth noting that remembering in scripture Is more than just recalling To remember is more than just a function of memory in the New Testament. To remember is more than just a function of memory. This is not akin to, this saying remember me is not akin to saying remember to pick up some milk and make an appointment for your colonoscopy. Rather, remembering in Scripture often means to act for. To remember is not just to recall, but to act on behalf of. Therefore, the criminal wasn't just asking Jesus to think of him. Do you remember that wonderful chap I was crucified with? No, he's asking Jesus to think of him with the power to act. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom that's a strange request. Jesus certainly didn't look like he was going anywhere worth remembering. Most of his disciples had figured that out and fled. Jesus was doing his dying alone. And apparently, whatever kingdom he ruled was about to come to an end. That was the purpose of execution. And yet somehow some way this second criminal sees in Jesus some power to remember him. And I'm not sure that my grandmother's prayer was any different than the criminal's last words. Oh Lord, you saved the thief on the cross. Surely you can save a sinner such as I. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The plea is the same. And Jesus responds, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, you're still with me? Now, we often translate paradise here as heaven. Today, you'll be with me in heaven. But actually, it's a rather obscure word, probably rendered better as park or garden. Today, you'll be with me in the park. This is the first time the word appears in scripture, and it only shows up two more times. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes about a vision wherein he's caught up into paradise, and in Revelation, the Revelation of John, paradise is clearly linked to the Garden of Eden. So I'm not sure, I'm not saying it's not, but I'm not sure that Jesus is talking here about a heavenly home, that the criminal would be welcomed into after he expires on the cross. William Willimon puts it this way. The dying thief did not begin to be with Jesus in paradise once he had drawn his last breath. The criminal began his paradise the moment he recognized the one who hung next to him in agony and humiliation on the cross was none other than his Lord, the master of his life, the sovereign of the kingdom of God. Or maybe he didn't know anything about that Jesus because knowledge, knowing what we're doing, is far too much to expect of us who, as Jesus said, don't know what they're doing. All he said was, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And it was enough. And it was enough. Whatever paradise is, It already began there on the cross. Truth be told, we don't know a thing about the second criminal. We don't know what crime he committed or if his family gathered at a distance to grieve his dying. We don't know if his last words were a last desperate shot or a firm statement of faith. But this faceless, nameless criminal offers one of the most profound models of faith in scripture. He claims his own guilt, he names Jesus as innocent, and he asks to be remembered. There may be no better theology of the cross remember, from the vantage point of the criminal, there wasn't a resurrection. All he saw was a dying Jesus. All he saw was that a dying Jesus would rule as a king. God's power is seen in Jesus dying. Michael Gerson died on Thursday morning. Michael Gerson. Michael Gerson was the lead speechwriter for President George W. Bush. A graduate of Wheaton College, after his service in the White House, he worked as a columnist and political commentator. Uh, Bright, measured, conservative, Christian, Gerson was a remarkably gifted young man. He died of complications from cancer at 58. Gerson struggled with depression for most of his adult life. And in 2019, he delivered a sermon at the National Cathedral in which he wove that struggle with depression into the proclamation of the gospel. Google it, find it, watch it. Michael Gerson, 2019, National Cathedral. You'll find it. It's a powerful word. In that sermon, he writes this But there is this difference for a Christian believer. At the end of all our striving and longing, we find not a force, But a face. All language about God is metaphor, but the metaphor became flesh and dwelt among us. I love that line. At the end of all our striving and longing, we find not a force, but a face. Dear friends, to celebrate that Christ is king is to celebrate scandal and mystery, for we are not simply saying, here's the big ending, by the way, we are not simply saying that an innocent Jesus died on the cross to take our guilty place and satisfy some cosmic court. Nor are we saying that the kingship of Jesus lies in an inner spiritual world and that the crucifixion was just some metaphorical passion play. Neither are we saying that the cross is just the means to the end. But we're proclaiming, we're bearing witness to we're stuck with the mystery that the way of God is the cross. God among us is not a force, but a face being crucified. The metaphor became flesh and was crucified. This is God's way to defeat the powers of the world. This is God's way to kingdom and kingship. This is God's way of being God. Crucified. Go figure. In crucifixion, there's a crown. In powerlessness, there's power. In folly, there's wisdom. In weakness, there's there's strength. In suffering, there's hope. In death, there's life. I don't know what the second criminal saw in a dying Jesus. Equally befuddling is what Jesus saw in the criminal, other than his humanity. But even with his last few words, Jesus makes it clear that his kingdom is for the last, the lost, the least, the beat down, the passed over, the marginalized, and the guilty. Even as he was dying, Jesus makes it clear that his kingdom is for us. So this morning, may we join my grandmother and this criminal. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That seems like enough. Thanks be to God. Amen.